With MailChimp, you get more than a URL. You get an all-in-one marketing platform to help drive sales. With things like data-driven recommendations and powerful automation tools. Get started today at MailChimp.com slash smart marketing. MailChimp, built for growing businesses. Hate crimes are dangerous and insidious, but you have the power to help stop them. If you witness or experience a hate crime, a criminal offense motivated by race, religion, disability, sexual orientation, or other characteristics, you can report it to the FBI, who is committed to protecting communities and supporting victims. Submit a tip at 800-CALL-FBI or tips.fbi.gov. The FBI is here to help. Protecting our communities together. Report hate crimes. This is Who Killed Teresa. I'm your host, John Allure. I, uh, I, I wasn't going to do an, an episode this quickly. I got up uh, this morning and I was had some time, so I said I'll knock out a little uh, research on uh, a few of these cases we're discussing. Um, involved a lot of translating and the next thing I knew it I transcribed everything and since it's fresh in my mind I might as well uh, um, talk a little bit about it um, get it out um, and I can tell you today I mean if if you think being stabbed uh, 173 times is something have I got a, uh, have I got a case for you So again, circling back, recall we were discussing a, an article in uh, the French language newspaper uh, La Presse from December 11th, 1999, um, accounting um, the unsolved murders of uh, eight young women in the Montreal vicinity. So we've we've uh, already covered uh, uh, Liette Gibb, which uh, it remains a, a cold case with the Sarté de Québec. And uh, we covered uh, Sophie Landry, who was stabbed 173 times. Guy Croteau is arrested, convicted, serving a life sentence currently, not eligible per- for parole until um, 2027. And that was 1987, those two cases. So now we're going to move forward to 1988 and 1990, uh, 1989, excuse me. So the, the, and the first case, uh, we're going to, we'll, um, we'll do this very, very quickly. Um, it's the case of uh, Chantal uh, Rochon. Um, and uh, Chantal is 17 years old. And on June 10th, 1988, um, she leaves uh, her family home. Uh, she lives in Blainville, and uh, Blainville is um, is in Laval. It's just down the road from uh, Ro- uh, from Rosemere, in uh, just off the island of Montreal. Anyway, so she leaves her her family home, and like so many of these, she's she's just not seen again. That's that's it. And um, uh, a few uh, weeks later, on June 23rd, uh, 1988, uh, her uh, 
her, her remains are found decomposed in in the woods uh, in Blaineville in, in a in a, like a body of a, a wooded area in Blaineville and that and that's all we know that's it I have um, I've tried to track more information on this case and I can't find a a, a darn thing um, to to say it, it was solved to say that it's called nothing it doesn't doesn't exist with the exception of this uh, La Presse story from from what I from what I can tell um, Blaine, Blaineville is of note because I, I know it because my my niece lives in in uh, Blaineville it's a very very small little town you know in these in municipal areas you, you it's like you drive highway 117 which is the one of the main routes? It's not. Uh, excuse me. It's not Laval. It's just off the island of Laval. But I I think of it as Laval because it's so close to the water, Rosemere and and and, and Blaineville, uh, and, and the only thing of note in Blaineville that I other than my niece, which is certainly of note, um, is uh, my favorite um, Putin uh, restaurant is in Blaineville. The only place that I would ever buy uh, Putin or rest Putin. Um, it's it's the it's the real thing, right? And, and for people who aren't from Quebec or from Canada, or kind of go, what, what in the name of holy hell is he talking about? Poutine is this French Canadian dish. It's French fries with cheese curds and gravy on top. Gross, right? I know, yeah. Um, but it, it 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 is a thing. You know, traditionally, people would say this was the thing you had. You'd you'd go to like a French fry, a chip wagon, you know, late at night after you'd been drinking all night. And the only thing that would cure your your hangover was putin because there's, you know, so much carbohydrates and fats in it that it would soak up all the alcohol and you'd wake up with without a without a hangover. So that's, you know, that's putin. Um, nowadays, it's become some kind of gourmet thing. I don't know. I've seen curry putin and all kinds of ridiculous variations and concoctions, but that that ain't the real thing. The real thing: French fries, cheese curds, gravy. That's it. And the best place you can get it, for my money, is not at some fancy pants restaurant. It's at Rest Putin in Blainville. That's it. I'm not making light of uh, Chantal de Rochon. I simply don't have anything else whatsoever to say about the case because we don't know, as I say, anything other than that. She disappeared from her parents' house. A couple of weeks later, her, her remains are found in the woods in Blaineville. <clears throat> and, you know, in thinking about these cases, um, you know, there the more i'm looking at them so they're they're very they're, they're very different from the cases in the 70s we've been discussing which had a kind of in many cases a uniform quality to them you know they're all cold cases um in 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 many cases the the victims were what i would describe low risk um yeah, um and a lot of similarities in in terms of the crime scenes, the, the, the modus operandi, 
and the victimology. In in these cases, with these cases, it's more of a melange. It's a real uh, a potpourri of a variety of things. We have um, young victims, slightly older victims. Uh, we have, uh, um, you know, in some cases the the assailant was caught, and in others not. And and, and in some and in some cases. We talked about Sophie uh, Landry yesterday. I don't think we really dwelled so much on on the fact that she, uh, you know, she was living in a like a juvenile delinquent facility during the weekdays, and you know, to what not not to blame the victim, but to what extent was was the the environment and her social upbringing was did that kind of lead to the outcome? In some ways, and we'll see this with some of these other cases um, that there there are there are social elements here uh, working that I would say were are different than a lot of the '70s cases we discussed, um, and some of those social elements we're going to get into now as we um, talk about the main topic of 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 today's uh, podcast. Which is the case of Valerie Delpe. The, uh, the 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 original article, the article that's the the focus of these recent podcasts, the La Presse, didn't really give much to go on this case. But what what was revealed was that Delpe was a thirteen year old uh, uh, girl living with her parents in Saint Leonard, which is in the northeast end of, of Montreal, on the island of Montreal. And on the evening of October 18th, 1989, she disappeared. And the following morning, um, her body turned up um, in, a, in a garbage dump, in a nearby garbage dump. And that's, that's what it said. But um, in researching uh, this case and, uh, and, and delving into it, Boy, is is there a story here of an unsolved murder? So, <clears throat> three three years uh, to the date of her disappearance, La Presse uh, publishes uh, an anniversary article because uh, Delpe's case is still uh, is still cold, and so part of this will be. Uh, I'll read some of. From, well, I can't read from the articles in in French, but I translated it. So some of the excerpts here, um, I will just kind of read my translation, and then I'll go off a little bit and talk a little bit more, um, because I think um, uh, it, it, the the article touches on some things that we can then expand on. So, and, and what it says that it says uh, it's been twelve, it's been uh, three years um, since Valerie Delpe's uh, a, a murder uh, by a butcher. And it says the police don't have the proof uh, to, to to implicate the, the murderer. Um, so yeah, so three years later, the and it says the case still haunts the family and and the Montreal police. So it's a it's a Montreal cold case, and it says that they've never ceased looking for the guilty party um, after thousands of hours of work and consulting experts in the United States. 
They interview over 600 people and they develop five suspects. It goes on to say that the police believe um, they have the name of the guilty party in their files, but they don't have the proof or evidence to, to implicate them. And that all the elements converge to a resident of the St. Leonard neighborhood who knew the, the victim. Now, that's, that's the Montreal police's um, opinion. And, um, you know, the, the word proof is, is interesting. Uh, um, the French word is preuve, uh, P-R-E-U-V-E-S, which we would naturally take to, well, that's got to mean in English proof. It does, and, and a lot more. Actually, uh, proof in French translates more explicitly to evidence. So, um, and there's, you know, there's a slight technical difference between whether we're talking about proof and whether we're talking about evidence. So three years later, if they say that they don't have the evidence um, to convict anyone, you know, you, given, again, um, our history in discussing these cases, and certainly the Montreal police's track record, you wonder exactly what they mean by that. And again, the, the idea is, okay, is the evidence contaminated? Um, it was the evidence lost? Um, is, was there something in the handling of the evidence by uh, agencies um, corrupted in, in some ways are, are, are questions that, that um, I think, uh, again, um, given that our history, are valid questions to ask. Uh, do, they, do they really, is it a question of the, the, the stuff they have can't lead to proof, or is it that they, they, they don't have the stuff because of negligence? So anyway, uh, the article goes on. It goes on to say that Montreal homicide investigators believe an experienced butcher dismembered the young girl with precision and dexterity. The assassin used a high-resolution saw to cut Delpe into pieces, then drained her blood like a butcher or a hunter. Yeah. Detectives consulted four specialists from the National Institute of Meats in Montreal, and all of the, uh, the specialists were unanimous in, in the conclusion that this was a highly skilled butcher who had, who had perpetrated the, the crime. So the case, the case is led up from the, from the very beginning by a guy named uh, Sergeant Paul Terrien. And uh, Terrien and his, his assistant, whose name is Sergeant Detective Pierre uh, Tetreau, they, 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 at this time, they're confident that, that Delphine knew her assailant 
and that the um, the assailant lived in the Saint Leonard neighborhood. Now, they don't reveal why that is, um, but we'll get to some elements that that may explain some of it. Perhaps because of the the short timeline, she disappears, you know, in the evening and is found the next day. Possibly that is a, a component of that. So. On to, uh, on, on to what happened, the, the, the timeline. So, um, <clears throat> according to police, the abduction happens very, very rap- rapidly because uh, Delphi leaves her, her house at about 5.45 p.m. to go to the local pharmacy. Um, she's, she's, walking, she's walking up the street to the pharmacy. But she was planning on returning to the house by 6 p.m. because she, uh, her intention was to meet up with two of her school friends. Now, remember the date here. This is, this is like October 18th, 19th. So it's October, so by this time it's, it's dark in the evening. Um, and there's, there's nothing. So, you know, within, within 15 minutes, she's gone. She's 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 vanished, and uh, the next morning, um, her her dismembered corpse is is found. Actually, it's it's the afternoon. Excuse me. Yeah, she she's found in as I say the local dump when um, this guy on a on a bulldozer is presumably clearing the detritus or whatever. He notices a hand sticking out of a, a garbage heap. So f- from there, the um, um, a SWAT team is called in along with uh, local firefighters, and they spend the following two days going through uh, the garbage dump, and they're ev- eventually able to recover um, all of her remains and... Uh, and most of her clothing. Now, the, this this dump site is uh, <clears throat> is interesting. It's it's on the site of the old um, in Montreal, what's known as the Marion Quarry. So it was like a rock quarry, and then and then it became uh, a, a landfill, and and today it's a it's a very large public park uh, with bike trails through it and uh, I think the Cirque du Soleil's headquarters is is there um, um, so it's at one time the, the intention was to make it the largest park in in, in Montreal uh, as I say it's in it's um, it's uh, <clears throat> sorry <laughs> I have a cat waving its tail in my face. All right. Hang on. Get back on back on track. So anyway, um it's it's nearby to where Delphi lived and disappeared. Delphi lived um on Place Choquette which is like a little roundabout. Um, and uh, Choquette is, is just north of the Montreal Botanical Gardens and the Olympic Stadium. Um, 
Um, so anyway, so in in the the La Presse account, um, she's she's found apparently in three cardboard boxes. And it's described that these boxes are carefully tied together with a yellow nylon rope, um, similar to the, the 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 kind of a like rope you'd use to uh, only only someone from Canada is going to understand what I'm describing at this point. It's the kind of nylon rope you use to assemble one of those um, winter um, carports, the kind you put over your 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 driveway in the winter so you don't have to shovel it. It's it's basically an aluminum frame with a piece of canvas or plastic over it. And the canvas and pla- plastic or plastic is is held in place by this kind of nylon cord. That's um, So that's how they describe it. And the reason they describe it that way is that any Montrealer will know exactly what they're describing. So now, now here's the the... the well, one of many bizarre parts. The the Montreal police determined that these boxes um, did not go from the point of execution immediately to to the landfill. Um, for, for somehow, they determined that the boxes sat on the corner of Chaquette and Robert Street, um, which is uh, about two blocks away from the the Delta Re- residence, um, before being hauled away the next morning uh, by the garbage man. Um, and this this dump, uh, just to to kind of orient uh, yourself with it, the, the dump is is a lot further west. Um, it's uh, from it, it's on the west of where the uh, Delpes lived on Choquette. Um Actually, it's, uh, it's, it's about, um, it's just north of La Fontaine Park. Um, and I mean, and if you're a, a deep diver into this podcast, you will recall that um, the La Fontaine Park area is, uh, is where um, Denis Bazinet lived, uh, Lison Blay lived, those two cases in the seventies. So, it's uh, it's just up the road from from there, uh, and kind of just uh, a little bit um, east of where uh, Chantal Tremblay uh, was last seen at the um, at the Henri Barassa metro station. So it's it's in that area, and this this may be of, uh, of importance. I bring it up; it may be of importance. Um, with uh, um, an angle I'll, I'll, I'll pursue a little later here. And so, so the boxes, they also determined that these boxes um, came from some local businesses, uh, a local uh, dépanneur. is a, a corner convenience store it's in, in Quebec speak. Um, so, so that, you know, the, the assailant or assailants possibly... Um, you know, they improvised, they found these boxes, you know, behind the businesses and they, they used them. Um, does that suggest that the event occurred locally? I mean, who knows? I don't, I don't really know. Um, um, 
And the police go on. They go go on to say that the, they they canvass the area uh, apparently over a series of, of months, um, but but no one in the area recalls um, uh, Valerie being in the neighborhood on the evening of of October eighteenth. But then again, they may very probably be working with a window of fifteen minutes. So. Now, this um, this dump location, uh, as I said, the the old the old quarry, specifically where it is, it's 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 north of Metropolitan Boulevard, which is Highway Forty. Specifically, it's uh, Rue Rue Papineau and 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 Jerry, um, for you Montrealers. Now, and and I bring that up because um, it just so happens that just east of Metropolitan Boulevard, uh, within blocks, is um, the Club Social Consenza. Um, And um, so what is that? Well, that was, for decades, the local hangout of the Rizzuto crime family. I think anyone in Canada knows the Rizzutos, but um, for those of you who don't, the the Rizzutos were the mob uh, family in in Montreal, if not in uh, in all of Canada. Um, many would say even rivaled uh, some of the, the the New York City uh, mafia families. Um, so cert- certainly. Um, in their crime activities, involved in construction, involved in waste dis- disposal. So you then go, well, m- well, maybe these these garbage men didn't um, didn't look you know too closely when they disposed of uh, Delpe's remains, um, and and then it leads further to the question: Could could this case of a of a 13-year-old young woman in any way uh, been mob-related. And, um, uh, you know, maybe. Uh, it's it's not comfortable to say this, but um, may as well say, uh, could, could Delpe have been involved in any way in, in local prostitution? Maybe. Um, you know, was this a case of... Um, you know, young gangbangers, you know, going out and and uh, picking up um, a victim off the street, uh, and uh, and uh, that that they were protected, and um, so so that everybody, you know, just just looked the other way. That that that's that's also a that's also a, a possibility. You know, when we when we talk about Saint Leonard, um, it's 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 kind of like mob town, really. I mean, uh, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, the Rizzutos uh, very recently uh, were the prime focus or one of the prime fo- focuses uh, of uh, the recent uh, Charbonneau Commission in uh, in Montreal, uh, which was a recent public inquiry that uh, looked into corruption between uh, City Hall and the uh, local construction industry, um, and then of course, um, you know, further, um, uh, you, you know, certainly 
there are connections in Montreal between the, the Montreal Mafia and the, the local biker, the biker gangs. Uh, the, the history of uh, Les Hells, the, the Hells Angels, you know, they, they, they sort, I think they were incorporated in 1977. 1985, we had the Lennoxville Massacre, which began a, a long a, a amalgamation of gangs. Um, in 1986 was the year that the, their rivals, uh, the Rock Machine, were founded. So one year prior to this event, to the Valerie Delpay case, the, the, their rivals, rivals were, were born. And shortly after that, we had the biker wars between uh, the Rock Machine and the Hells Angels that that began in roughly around 1993, but I'm certainly sure it had its its antecedents and rival rivalries much uh, much earlier. So, in 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 one sense, is it possible that um, is it possible that uh, Delphi, um and maybe some of these victims that we're going to talk about um, were uh, collateral damage? You know that they were. Um, um, products of uh, cr- a corruption lifestyle um, and got caught in the in the crossfire that 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 is certainly uh, a possibility so back back to um, the, the the police case uh, so at at the beginning of uh, 1990 um, the Montreal detectives appealed to uh, Quebec psychologists and and to the the FBI and they they appealed to the FBI to develop uh, a profile of the of the killer um, and and this is interesting because we we talked about Mark Lepin um, the last episode so so clearly um, you know as late as 1990 uh, the local Quebec law enforcement did not have the resources. Or the the ability to do uh, serial profiling, um, and I have argued that um, as late as as two thousand and two, when I was doing my early work with the Teresa Lore cases, that they they had no knowledge of geographic profiling or behavioral profiling. Uh, they might argue that, although we we saw yesterday that. Um, Mark Lepin, in the air between 2002 and 2004, had just been trained as a professional profiler. So they were very, very, very late late to the game um, with any of these um, tactics capabilities, so they appealed to the FBI. Um, and um, in addition to that, the, the, the investigators, uh, Therrien and then a, a detective named Pierre Grignon, um, they, they traveled to Quantico, Virginia in April of 1991, again to uh, consult with the, the FBI. Uh, now, they, um, <clears throat> based on what they learned from the FBI, they, uh, they developed a, a profile. And, and from that, they apparently interrogated five suspects two of whom, whom were their profession were were butchers um, and um, their their chief suspect the, the police were apparently surprised to find that he passed 
a, a lie detector test. Um, but as we all know, and we've discussed here, um, <laughs> maybe they didn't know it, but um, a polygraph can be cheated and, and, and passed by, by uh, uh, an offender, particularly one who is sociopathic or psychotic. Um, maybe the Montreal police learn that later. Who knows? But um, but that's the case. Uh, uh, gr- gruesome, um, by all means, um, and like all victims, uh, apparently uh, Valeria Delpe's mother, to this day, still regularly contacts the police um, in hopes that um, something new will develop. But um, for now, we, we, don't, we don't know anything more, th- more than that. I haven't found anything uh, written up or, or followed up on this case since the Le Press article from 1991. The, uh, the matter goes silent, as, as many of these affairs do, and um, it, it gets uh, forgotten but um, not anymore, because we've just talked about the tragic events leading up to the death of 13-year-old Valerie Delpe. That's, that's it for, for this, um, this session, um, a short one, this this time uh, curtain raiser as we call it um, as we move into the, some of these other cases um, uh, Marie-Ève uh, Laravier uh, Melanie Cabet uh, Mary Chant- Chantal Desjardins Jolene Campo these are much more um, uh, uh, I would say public cases that are cases with a greater longevity and memory there's a lot um, a lot written about them so uh, we'll spend certainly uh, Probably. My, my guess is an, an entire session on each of them. Um, and then, of course, the thing that um, I haven't told you, which but is fairly obvious, is in some of these instances, these cases reference and then bring up other cases. So we're going to by no means be done um, in four episodes uh, at all. Wheels within uh, wheels, which is always... Uh, the case with uh, uh, crime and an investigation. So I'll I'll do the the long form of um, housekeeping and uh, an exit here. Um, I say if you do like this podcast, why not give it a five star rating on um, iTunes uh, for no other reason than that's what everyone is says and I guess that's what I'm supposed to say but hey why not Maybe we'll get some more listeners and that's never a bad thing um, if you need a visual um, for the things we discuss there's a website theresalore.com t-h-e-r-e-s-a-a-l-l-o-r-e dot com um, where you can find all facts and photos and, and geographic maps uh, profiling the cases uh, we d- discuss. Also, check us out on YouTube. If you search Teresa Lore, there's a, there's video footage of several news reports, investigations, etc. 
into some of these affairs. Uh, we're on social media, for better or worse, we're on social media. Um, there's a Facebook page, I think it's called Who Killed Teresa, the podcast, where you can inter- interact. I, I actually like interacting. Um, uh, you, you can write me anything, and it doesn't have to be serious, it can be s- silly. Um, for those of you who, who do follow, uh, you know I can be quite silly. I did um, the 12... <laughs> I did the 12 days of G.I. Joe uh, over the holidays, as you know. Um, sort of showing a collection of some of my, my toys for my youth and certainly my sister's toys, more to the point. Um, that's what that was all about. If you were wondering why I was posting pictures of G.I. Joe with Kung Fu Fu <laughs> grip. Um, we're also on, on Twitter. You can find me at Justice Guy, J-U-S-T-U-S-G-U-Y. And also there's a specific um, Twitter handle for this podcast. It's uh, at Teresa Moore. That's it. I'm out. This has been Who Killed Teresa. I'm your host, John Allure. And have yourselves a great, great Sunday morning. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. True crime on A&E with groundbreaking original shows like The First 48, Cold Case Files, Accused, Guilty or Innocent, and American Justice. No one brings you closer. Groundbreaking true crime every Thursday and Friday on A&E.